Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We have another fantastic show planned out for you today. This is uh, a question that came in from the viewers, so I hope you all really enjoy it because I'm excited to talk about it. Before I get too far into anything, I do want to remind everybody, like the show, subscribe to it, hit the notification bell, and you get your little email in your email every day, um, letting you know that we're going live. Now, quick disclaimer, none of us are doctors. Steve's pretty close, but... <laughs> We're not actually doctors. Um, and anything we do say is our own personal experience or anecdotal uh, evidence from stories we've heard. So do your own research. And if you have any questions or comments or anything that you would like to uh, discuss, put it up in the comment section. We will put it up on here, discuss it, and go from there. Any thoughts or questions from uh, the boy? Actually, first off, Steve, thanks for being back, man. It's been a while. <laughs> I think there might be a delay. Oh, and now his audio's off. Okay. <laughs> so, what Seb. are the chances of that? Seb, good to see you. There's again. no way it could have happened. <laughs> this Great is, man. Uh, my good. Boy. Um, if, if if you will allow me for a sec, it, I, there's something I'd like to just kind of pay a little tribute to humanity this morning. If we have like two minutes. Oh, hundred oh, percent. You guys good with that? Cool. Uh, right now, for those of you who don't know the situation in British Columbia, we have 15,000 square kilometers of wildfires going on. There's 395 active fires. 21 of those are deemed critical and catastrophic. There's about uh, 3,500 firefighters, including hotshots. There's firefighters from Mexico, from the U.S., from other countries, if they have smaller contingents, sometimes they go undetected. But there's a bunch of people that went transnational to come here to help us. There's a bunch of residents that are being displaced. There is a bunch of volunteers that are working their butts off to help. There's first responders that haven't taken leaves in, leave in weeks that, have, that are on strict leave restrictions where the rest of us are going camping and hanging out on the beach, doing all this good stuff. So I just, if you have a chance, today and every day pay pay respect to the these people that are you know taking some incredible risk and we know that we've already lost a couple and 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 you know my thoughts with their families and their their colleagues and everybody who knew them and and it's likely that it they won't be the last uh, casualties that we'll have during this fire season so I just wanted for us to really not just, oh, yeah, cool. I, you know, I see a fire on the, on the news or 10 minutes or some Instagram post, but really put yourself into the middle of an inferno as this is closing on you from all sides after you jumped in with your friends to try to make a difference. And just imagine, you know, with all of your capacity, what this might be like, what, this, what it might smell like, what it might feel like. Because sometimes when we do these visualization exercises, we stay surface level. What, are we, what can we process when we look at it visually? But there's a lot more to those calls and to controlling this type of chaos that most of us will never know, you know anything about. And so I just want to express my incredible gratitude to all of those that are out there doing this work while we are enjoying our summer and the world is burning literally in, in British Columbia. Um, with that, I think it's, I'd be surmised to, to, to not say that it's been the worst season on record by about 2,000 square kilometers right now. And the, the previous one was in 2018. And the, the causes 
are varied, but there's still a lot of man-made causes. There's still a lot of people throwing cigarettes. There's still a lot of people doing fires when they're not supposed to. There's still a lot of people doing things they're not supposed to do. And essentially, we all pay, we all pay for these mistakes with lives. This is no joke. This is real. So we have to all do our part to make sure that we are absolutely locked in when it comes to try to preventing those those wildfires anyways i digress but thank you very much to everybody who is involved anybody who is engaged and uh man our thoughts are with you if you want to do something special for these guys there is an incredible workout called a hot shot 19 and i don't care what you like to do for a workout this is a, a a hero workout and it's meant to honor those that made the ultimate sacrifice. And you can adapt it. You can change the movements if you need to. But just make it miserable so that you not only think about them, but you also make a, you, you make a connection through the shared misery. And this is only at a very infinitesimal level, if that makes any sense. That's all I have, guys. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks for doing that, Seb. And, and you're right on the money. And I mean... There's no way I would have ever thought to give a tribute like that or recognize the frontline uh, fire workers like that. Uh, I mean, I do it in my head, but I, you're right. We should be doing it publicly. And I think one of the reasons that people are prone to not really caring, you know, flicking that cigarette butt out the window as they're driving down the highway or starting up their campfire and not really care. And they're going to break those rules because they don't care about those rules. Chances are they probably never fought fire before. Now, when I was like in uh, senior high school or when I, I hadn't graduated high school yet, we had some really bad fires up in northern Alberta. So we, I volunteered to go do two, three week long uh, firefighting stints, which meant every single day we fought fires for 16 hours a day in orange coveralls, no underwear and a hard hat, stinking hot. It's the filthiest job I've ever had in my life, probably. It was miserable, hard freaking work that was not valued at all by anyone other than the guys on the team that I was with. No one knew where we were until we got home. And then we took a shower for the first time and then went back out for another three weeks. Hard freaking work as a kid, hard freaking work as an adult. And I think until you've done it, you just don't respect it the way that you should respect it. And so uh, to your point, I'm going to make more of an effort to be a little more public and drawing some more attention to this kind of a situation that we have here in BC for sure. And on that note, I have a friend here locally in town in Roslyn and his son is, and I won't say his son's name. Uh, I've seen the video of his son jumping out of a perfectly good airplane as a smoke jumper. He's number two in the stack. And who'd you hear in the background? Freaking Goggins. <laughs> Goggins chirping uh, as he's as he's going out of the plane. So I'm gonna I while you were talking, I wrote down. I'm gonna ask uh, my local buddy here, the boy's dad, the son's dad, uh, if uh, if I can share that video later today because you know who gets all the clicks and who gets all the likes is the personalities, not even the celebrities. We'll call it the Gogginses of the world. But you know the people who deserve the most love is the people who don't have a name right now. And so uh, it's probably time that we start putting some names to faces. So I'm going to get on that. Thanks, Seb. 100%. Uh, and it looks like Dave says uh, you can say his name. <laughs> Mac. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but uh, Dave, can I share that video since you're on here? That'd be cool. There you go. Well, I'll let you know when he, uh, when he pops on. Steve, you got any thoughts on this? 
We're not, we can't hear you, brother, unfortunately. No, I can't hear you. you might have, we'll have to uh, try jumping off, jump back on, and we'll, uh, we'll carry on there without you there for now. Um, he says, uh, yes, you can. I have asked him, and he is good with it. There you go. Thanks, buddy. Um, I also, I absolutely agree with y'all. Um, and I actually watched for the last four, one, four days while we were camping there. Um, the firefighters and the helicopters and the pilots and all the people working for sun up to sundown all day long just coming in to get water dumping it over the uh the fires there were two going on on either side of us uh at the at the campsite and they it never stopped and i was just applauding them the whole time it was fantastic to watch um so when <laughs> when steve gets back here we'll we'll get we'll carry on the conversation regard, regardless when he gets back here so what i want to talk about today training days uh, the request was sent in. I'm not sure. I can't remember the person who asked the question, but uh, they had just finished their BMQ, I believe, and were mm -hmm. entering into battle school. Mm -hmm. So for those that don't know, battle school is the infantry next phase from basic training in the Canadian military. Everybody, <clears throat> regardless of element, does basic training together, and then you move on into your battle schools from there. Or the, only the infantry move into battle school. Everyone else gets QL3s. Let me rephrase that before these two infantiers start coming at me. Um, oh, we're already coming at you. It's just a matter of time. It's, it's already happened. But you're just delaying it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we're going to talk about some lessons learned, some of the things that you guys took from your training days and from all of the training courses that you guys have been on. Sean, you want to step in first and give us some stories or some lessons? Yeah, sure. Uh, so first I'll establish that, um, much like every young person who joins the military, or I'll, I'll say nearly all of them, I didn't know much about what the system was, what the process was, what I, what was expected of me, how to do it well, how to do it poorly. I was taught in the moment. So, uh, I'll start off by saying that if you know nothing and you don't have a path forward to become, uh, the best version of yourself already, no big deal. It'll get sorted out in the process. <laughs> it will sort you out. You will sort yourself out or you won't stick around. And so worst case scenario, show up knowing nothing with a bad haircut and the rest will take care of itself as long as you do your best. Now, there are some things that you can do to uh, have a better success or your life can be made a little bit easier um, to some degree, but I think the most important part uh, of this conversation today is not how to make things easier per se. It's how to set you up so that you learn more so that you make that moment better for you in the future. So everything that you're absorbing in your trades qualification course is stuff that you can process for the rest of your life rather than it feeling like a fire hydrant. Uh, blasting you. So first thing I will say is this, that the lessons I learned uh, while I was in the process are better understood as an instructor within the process. So having run uh, basic, uh, having run a, a variety of different uh, courses as an instructor within the military, you learn more about the process when you're teaching it than when you are in it. So anything that I have to say today, I'll be kind of coming at it from a more seasoned eye or a different perspective than uh, the young kid that I was, you know, 19 years old, trying to figure out 
why someone's yelling at me as they uh, flip my uh, bark box upside down and and squash my toothpaste tube so that it shoots over and hits my uh, bunkmate's boot. I mean, lots of things happen in basic training. Lots of things happen in your early phases of your career, and they're all fun stories. But today I'm going to focus on uh, it from more of an instructor perspective, if, if you will. Uh, like and that's where I'm going to leave it off for now. Roger. So have you got some first thoughts? Yeah. <clears throat> I, I will echo I will echo Sean's words and in, in, with respect to the bulk of my experience aside from my personal experience has come from you know being an instructor cadre on 20 odd selection uh, for tactical units but also uh, obviously on various courses difficult courses with really high attrition rates where it's easy to see and to trend and to patternize certain things and so I'm going to come at it from a, and I'm sure Sean <coughs> will join me in there uh, I do believe that just to, just to sort of sort that out right right off the hop, it has less to do with physical fitness and more to do with mindset generally when you see people failing. And so that is the reason why Sean could show up there. That's the reason why Jocko could show up to the Navy SEAL, to Buds without knowing anything about it and still passed. You know, their mindset was conducive to that. But if your mindset isn't conducive to that and you are not physically ready, then it's all bad news. So there's a ton of tactical mistakes that can be made to prepare for something like this. And one of those tactical mistakes is for you to always be in control because it's the loss of control that that actually generally causes the stress in, in, in the heads of people and s starts uh, creating turbulence that leads to a drop on request or to starting to make some sort of excuses as to why you shouldn't be there in the first place because actually you miss your girlfriend. So uh, I, 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 I'll, come at, I'll come at it more from the mindset perspective. There's tons of good uh, sort of training regimens out there that we can that we can you know recommend or that we can even say you know that we can vouch for so to speak. but there is a lot more to it. You got some uh, points there, Sean, uh, on that? Yeah, just muting, uh, or I think I muted his yeah. mic. <laughs> I think we're all trying to mute. <laughs> all right, well, I'll let you run that uh, program. Uh, so, yeah, my first thoughts are this, and, and it's a funny anecdotal story because uh, it's based on what Seb just said, and, and that's uh, someone with an incorrect mindset showing up to either basic training or showing up to their trades qualification course, let's call it 031 Infantry. And at some point in it, things get a bit difficult. Things do get difficult. And then people start looking for exit strategies. Then they're looking for that huggy blanket. And maybe the huggy blanket is their girlfriend that they're missing. So that's what, uh, as Seb just said, uh, missing your girlfriend. It, I mean, it's a thing. It, it happens in basic training. But you know what should never happen is you quit basic training because you miss your huggy blanket. But I recall uh, watching my bunkmate across from me, not uh, not above me, um, across from me. And, and you know, things were getting tough. And uh, you could see the pattern forming. I didn't understand the pattern. I, I didn't understand what was happening, but I could observe the pattern. And I was curious as to what the outcome was going to be. So the, the telling uh, signals were, now he's hugging his picture every night as he goes to sleep. Now he's sleeping with the picture under his pillow every night. And now, you know, he's he's kind of emotional and he's he's not his head's not in the game. When things when things had to happen like 0400 everyone has to get up to wax the floor again before the instructors come in and tear us apart. He's kind of slow to get out of bed and he's not really in the game. He's got he's got his girlfriend's photo and he's leaning against the wall looking at that. 
and that is the day that he quit. Uh, he quit uh, the entire program. He dropped out of the process because, uh, as he told us, I miss my girlfriend too much. Well, I guess that can happen. And, you know, I don't want to throw him under the bus and say, what a goof. But I do know that at that moment, that's what we were all thinking because he was letting down the team. Now, that to me is the most valuable uh, uh, point of consideration during this entire conversation. You can show up as a solo player and you can quit on yourself. Whatever. See you later. But when you show up, you're showing up into a team environment and you're expected to perform for the team. So the, the moment you start thinking about quitting, what you're really saying is, I'm quitting on the team. And in my books, that is unacceptable. I, I don't always pass that. Now, when I was a young buck, as I said, I'm going to talk mostly as an instructor. When I was in that process of basic training and basic uh, trades qualification, I just, like everyone else at that moment, thought, what a jerk. But now I can look back on it uh, as from an instructor perspective and shake my head and think, how disappointing that you're letting down the team. And that was never explained to you. You never understood why you were here. And so uh, it's a funny little story uh, from my basic training, but uh, it's definitely apropos for the uh, topic at hand. Indeed. <laughs> it's, it's humorous to, to see the pattern because, or hearing it from you as well, is the fact that there were, there, there were very similar patterns happening uh, on my basic training as well, which is kind of funny. Um, Steve, you got any, uh, let's, let's get you in here. Do you got any thoughts on training days on uh, some of the tips that helped you get through or could help others? Well, yeah, I hope I can finally get involved in the conversation. My apologies <laughs> to everybody for my there we go. terrible tech here. Just kind of taken away from the show, but uh, anyway, sorry about that. Uh, I I was listening while I was trying to get my back in the waiting room, and there was a couple things I, I liked that the guys were saying. Uh, so you know, you were talking about like where fitness falls in with training. We always look at this like who can do 30 pull-ups. Well, let's have a guy that can do 18 is is really smart and can think through problems. Mm -hmm. uh, fitness is one of those things that comes with qualification and training that we put way too much emphasis on. Fit enough is is the way I always like to think. And uh, I, I really do think that in the last 20 years or so, when I started my military career, training has gotten too easy. It's too easy to be qualified now. We need to make training hard because if training isn't hard, people are, are going to get killed. Uh, the, the risks that soldiers and police and firefighters take, it, it's not, not less, it's exactly the same, but we keep changing these names standards when it comes to training and qualification so that we can fit uh i don't know if it's a a narrative or so we can increase numbers but we're better served to have a hundred really good people than 150 mediocre people and and i think one thing with all the uh, uh kind of the organizations that all of us are familiar with it needs to be hard it needs to be realistic yeah yeah it really does um <laughs> i think the one piece on that is there, there's a point also where uh, training becomes ineffective, right? If you just make it hard for the sake of making it hard, whether it's um, instead of making it purposeful and hard, if that makes sense. You guys have uh, any thoughts yeah, on that? I, I don't fully agree with that. No? <clears throat> no, not at all, because I think that training has to have an element of chaos in it. Now, for the individual who's involved in it, 
Now, it could be a whole pile of uh, perfectly designed stations that a person has to move through. Um, and it can, it can all be beautifully constructed. But I, I got to tell you that as that as those individuals are moving through that process of a perfectly constructed process, sometimes things go a little sideways in the process. As an instructor, I've been in moments where I've thought, uh-oh, this is going not the way that we had planned. Well, guess what? As instructors, we improvise, adapt, and overcome. And we turn the, we'll call it chaos or the um, not perfect outcomes in the moment into perfect outcomes at the outcome. So it's our job as instructors to improvise and adapt and overcome what is happening in the, in the now so that the outcome we expect is achieved. So life is not perfect. Life is not linear. It has its ebbs and flows in the moment and it has its ebbs and flows over life. And again, when you're, when you're a raw recruit in the process, the only thing that you have to do is do your best. My job as an instructor is to ensure that you're doing your best and I'll help shape that best path forward. Yeah. Seb, you got any thoughts? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many, so many places that we could go that we could go with this conversation with respect to how you should prepare to be fit enough as Steve mentioned. And so that you are mentally prepared, but you also mentally prepared to lose control over when you're doing what and just relinquish that and be willing to go out on your shield, so to speak, so that you may be able to negotiate whatever comes through the doors and whether it's easy or not, if you're prepared for the worst case scenario, then you don't have to worry about how hard or how easy it is. You'll just be successful. And that's, you know, all the power to you. But um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is to think that the training is designed to make you fit. It, it, it's not. The training is designed to gut check you. And that's what the training is or that's what the training should be designed for. And that's what it was when I was in. And I understand through Steve and others that things might have changed to the point where some feel that this is no longer the case, but it's irrelevant. Make everybody else mediocre. If you're performing as high as you can possibly perform, you're gonna your career will be all the better for it. And 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 it's easy for somebody to look really good if everybody else is ugly. So I'm not uh, I'm not a hundred percent you know concerned with that. And you can yes you can try to elevate the group and do all those those things, but things will work. They work they will work themselves out because when the wheels meet the pavement, reality hits. I don't care how much you're trying to inject politics in this process. And so it's important to understand that as you as you are preparing or getting physically prepared to be fit enough to attend a certain course and prepare your mental game and prepare everything that's associated with that, that when you hit the ground, your processes are kind of set to the, set to the side because now you're not going to get your beauty rest you're not going to get your food recovery you're not going to get your two-hour massages you're not going to get all the treatment the post-workout treatments you would be getting to maximize your recovery and keep you healthy but you're going in there to show what you're made of with the fire that burns within you and what kind of fight you can bring and everything is a metaphorical exemplification of your fighting spirit like I don't, I don't take this lightly. If somebody comes in, they're they're not in the greatest shape or whatever, but they never quit and they're always there and they're pulling the team and they're pushing and they're doing everything they could. They're pushing themselves. You know that that's the person you want to be shoulder to shoulder with when when things get chaotic. I like that. Um, we got a couple comments. Any other thoughts on that before I move on? Yeah, uh, I think that uh, Steve said it. You've got to be fit enough, not 
not fit as an Olympian. But guess what? I, I'm going to give you extra points if you show up fit as an Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to me, the bare standard is you're fit enough. What isn't the standard is you show up not fit enough. Now what you're doing is you're dragging down the team because as you are being made fit enough to meet the bare standard, the team is suffering because of you. The team is doing the extra laps because of you. The training time that could have been put towards becoming more proficient with a weapon is now time that is being spent doing burpees because of you. Take your responsibility serious. When you sign on the dotted line and head off to basic training, if you show up as a slob, in my world, I'd spin you on your heels so fast and kick your arse back to the bus that your head would still be spinning as a 50-year-old man. There's no way you should be showing up after signing the dotted line as a slob. You should be showing up as a freaking warrior in your head and able to deliver the outcomes that are expected of you on day one. Now, life can get in the way and perhaps you show up with good intention of being a warrior but for whatever reason, your girlfriend didn't let you or there was laundry to be done or you had to walk a dog or whatever the case is, life got in the way. Well, on day one, as you're doing those burpees, that's the time that you get to decide what you're made of, your grit, as Seb said. I will throw away a hundred guys who don't have grit and I'll keep one who has grit. And that guy with grit or that girl with grit, I don't care the color of their hair. I don't care the shape of their body. I don't even care about their IQ. What I do care about is they have grit. And grit is something that you can't buy on Amazon. It is something that you can't create in yourself in a week. It is a process that takes months and years. So if you're thinking about signing on the dotted line, get to work right now getting gritty, getting grimy, getting really uncomfortable so that you can show up on day one with the juice that they will squeeze out of you and you will appreciate it for uh, what it is. Good point. I have a question on that then is what about th those that are a slob, but can change is, you know, basic training the, the point in which to bring them to that position, or is it that they should be good to go? beforehand because if they've never actually experienced what it's like to be in that mentality isn't basic training the point in time in order to put them there put them there steve you got a thought yeah yeah actually yeah if i could um that's a great point because basic training for me was a whole lot of young men who came from very very different walks of life uh, i was very lucky growing up my dad he showed me how to he, he taught me how to be a good person and he provided for me and he showed me uh, the right way to behave and I was able to compete in sports. There, there was a kid that uh, was on my basic training that had never seen a dentist. That was the life that he came up from. And then that's where I think that leaders and instructors, like Sean was saying, need to sh show these young folks how to behave. And that comes with that positive attitude and mental toughness that are inherent attributes. Those are things that we can't teach. And uh, that's the beauty of, like, you know, you get an 18, 19-year-old kid with a positive attitude and the right leadership, and that that, uh, that can turn into something special. For sure. Seb? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with this, uh, with this statement. 
and I've seen it firsthand. I haven't been in, in charge of what we call the gut check on selection for, you know, the better part of probably six or seven years. I, I did like 14 as the gut checker, basically. And my job was to do every single evolution with the candidates. But also when they went to bed at night for a short period of time, maybe a two hour or three hour or whatever that was, I was scoring their books and doing these other things. And then the next morning at, you know, 3.30 or whatever, we're, I was leading the PT and leading every single session. So there wasn't, there wasn't, and my, my job wasn't to, you know, to lead the skill assessment sessions. That was everybody else's job. But my job was to continue to take the beatings with them. And the goal of that was to be the person that demonstrate that this is feasible and this is the standard. There's no excuses. We're not replacing each other with brand, you know, spanking new instructors that have spent, you know, six hours sleeping and, and all this good stuff and ask them to run a, a, a freaking seven minute, you know, you know, mile and a half and then get another instructor come in and take over. It just doesn't work. Like it defeats the purpose. It all starts with leadership, demonstrating that the entire cadre and the people that are involved on this team, this is a lifestyle. And every time I hear people say, I got to get in shape for this. You're already, your mindset is wrong. Like people don't change to go there. People go there because of who they are. And if you're going to change yourself to make it there, it's going to take time, dedication, and a lot more effort than you can ever, you know, fathom. And so I think that's a, that's a, a, a very, very critical point. We need to continue to lead by example as leaders as we're negotiating these courses. And the day that you lose that, it's, it's going to be a big problem. I do have a couple of things to say uh, on that. Uh, so Steve had uh, said a really important aspect of this uh, overarching topic. And again, to remind everyone, the reason that we're having this conversation is because myself and, and all of us, I suspect, on a fairly regular basis are being asked by young bucks, hey, I want to become dot, dot, dot. What's the best path forward? Well, that's kind of why we're having this conversation, but I want to get in front of it based on what Steve said, and it's my thoughts as well. It's just that Steve said it so well, it's prompting me to, to, to put this point out. Our responsibility is not only to explain how to do well in the process, it's our job to explain how to get in front of the process before you even think about signing on a dotted line. And I do honestly believe, and, and this will stir a few people wrong, I feel that the Canadian Armed Forces as a whole is failing miserably in this area. I, I didn't know a freaking thing when I was signing on the dotted line. And the only reason that young bucks are uh, understanding partially to some degree the process is because they're having to do the heavy lifting. They're having to go seek the information themselves to learn a little bit more about. Just like this question, how do I get better in dot, dot, dot? Someone took the... Uh, initiative to ask us this question so that we can help them out with that. But this should be an institutionally pushed message so that everyone who's about to sign on the dotted line understands what the expectations are of signing on that dotted line. Between the signature and getting off the bus in basic training, you should have had a program delivered to you, a sensibility of what is going to be happening to you on that first day and every day after that fact. So in essence, someone needs to get with the program and start explaining why people are signing on the dotted line, I feel. So that's my first point. The second point is based on what Seb said. 
And uh, I have been in that situation as an instructor on selections. And the hardest working uh, people in that grid square are the instructors because we've gone through the process ourselves. We know how hard it is. And then as an instructor, you've got double responsibility and double pressure because you're shaping someone in real time. You're observing them and you're categorizing whether they're going to go up or down. And that's a really, really um, important responsibility. Not, I don't think most people understand how, how much weight rests on your shoulders as you're making those kind of determinations in the real time. It's not just about you doing your best. It's about you doing your best for the team and the individual who wants to be part of that team. And if it's a hard charging team, that is a no joke responsibility as an instructor. So you're usually getting less sleep than the candidates. You're usually working harder than the candidates. And the reason that you can do all of that is because you got gridded up, you got toughened up, you got shaped into the thing that can then be, be more than selection as it were. So, uh, it is a really critical point that you brought up Seb. Yeah. You got any other thoughts on that Seb? Yeah, I just I really like the uh, the sort of I'll refer to it as indoctrination. You know, Sean, I think there's endless benefits to this, and the the the, the metrics are quite clear. If courses, difficult courses that have indoctrination, have a much higher success rate, and they really they really don't do anything other than this is how you should prepare for what's coming. You know, they're not telling them what's coming. They're not doing any of this. There's no operational security issues. There's no like unfair advantage or any of that garbage. It's literally, this is what you need to be able to do this. Those are some of the things, the tasks that you need to be able to, to perform. And I think that if you take this from a metaphorical standpoint and you look at indoctrination as an administrative process, you, you're good to go. Like you, you don't have to necessarily run a basic training for them, even having that general awareness and being the, the information concierge for these guys is going to be massively helpful in getting them ready and successful. Yeah. I, um, I got to watch dive prelims happen pretty regularly in my unit. And that was one of the int really interesting things to watch. I look back on it now at my own mindset at that point in time, which was not up to snuff. But I look back at it now after having been an instructor and stuff, and just the fact that they ran the prelim before the dive course, just to make sure everybody that was headed to the dive course understood that what they were getting into. And I heard many times that the prelim was harder than the course specifically for that reason so that they'd show up there more prepared and uh yeah one cr had a pretty good uh <laughs> pretty good record when sending guys to the dive course they didn't have a lot of uh, failures or drops uh, based off that just based off the prelim um any other thoughts before i got some comments here and some questions uh steve's just gonna hang out and watch his audio is getting uh a little too mashy to continue so he's just gonna he's gonna be here and listening but uh yeah, well, he already brought enough heat that he can actually sit there and be quiet for a while. <laughs> it, with his mystery man uh, outfit right, right now in the that. shadows. That's, that's, uh, his look right now is how I used to look. That's before you dragged me into podcasting. I used to be Steve, you jerk. <laughs> I, I was literally pitching, picturing in my head, Sean going in, in his head going, that's the way I want to That's look. precisely I, what I was thinking. <laughs> What a jerk, Taylor. Steve. Awesome. Um, so we got a, a comment here from Salty Jinx. He says, uh, if the standards are set, monitored, and adjusted by the staff, the training audience should be able to adjust and increase pressure 
uh, and increased pressure should allow them to individually reach goals to support the team and others around them to ensure success overall. Absolutely. If the uh, any thoughts on that, guys? Uh, I do have a, just a, a that's a great comment. Um, I want to refer back to something that was said just uh, earlier in the podcast. And it was in respect to the standards kind of slipping to some degree and uh, the idea being that uh, the system is not as gritty or as robust or the, the demands of the individual are different today than they were of 20, 30 years ago. And uh, coincidentally, uh, not knowing that we were going to be talking about this today, just a couple of days ago, someone um, in my live chat, a subject came up and I said, you know, it's really interesting to me. And I'm talking about my Instagram live chat is... Um, I was listening to a podcast, which will go unnamed, and uh, it was about uh, women in the armed forces. And uh, I'm sure we all know who uh, runs that podcast. She's awesome. And uh, there was nothing controversial in the podcast at all, other than something was said. And I thought, huh, you can be a psychological warfare operator in the United States with only a four-week course? Wow, that seems like, uh, that seems a bit short to me i thought and the next thought was man i'm gonna get a briefing from someone who's only been in the game four weeks and they're gonna be telling me i have to go there and do that based on they just basically got out of school and if they're 21 years old with a four-week course in their pocket now they've got some sort of authority or determination on my future path forward i'm not really comfortable with that that's what i thought and so as I started talking about it on my uh, live IG potty, I, I just started saying, hey, you know what? I, this is my observation. I've heard it a number of times now, and I'm patternizing that the standards are slipping. The quality of instruction may be the same, but the quantity is not the same. How can you um, put someone in? What, what's next? Is it a three-week course? Is it a two-week course? And so ultimately... I said, um, uh, to sum it up, I feel that it's primarily to do with recruiting and uh, we, we're not getting the bodies that are required for basic training or for uh, trades qualification training and therefore standards are reduced and the timeline is compressed to the point where someone is out in the role with a third a half, three quarters of the time that it used to take in order to put out a uh, what was at that time, 20, 30 years ago, considered a competent individual in their role on day one within their trade. It has now been shaved down and the standards have been lowered. And I think it's truly due to manpower requirements, recruiting, failing miserably within the Canadian Armed Forces. And then I went on to say, man, I think you're doing a terrible job recruiting. And if you need some help, I would completely change things around. But no one's going to hit me up on, hey, Sean, how do you do it? What we are going to have is a steady erosion of standards and timelines until maybe it'll just be an online course that isn't even vetted. And you just get to check a bunch of green boxes and then step into your new army boots and go off and grab your gear and do that thing. And I don't agree with that at all. To the contrary... I feel that even the standards that we had and the timelines that we had when I first started up, they weren't enough. They weren't enough to put me in the job as squared away as I should have been. So how on earth is everyone squared enough with half times? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. What are your thoughts? What do you think, Seth? Well, 
I'll echo what's, what Steve, I think, was talking about earlier, and Sean, you reiterated that also. It, it becomes a question of retention, and it becomes a question of how many bodies do we have. But that's a very, very short-sighted approach to problem-solving anything that has the potential to kill you. I can't, I can't think of a more short-sighted approach. Like, what do you want? You want to take, you want to take a hundred people that you know shouldn't be there in the first place, or you want to take ten that deserves to be there and have the grit, the determination, the the drive, the you know the 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 intellectual capacity, and all of those things. And so I think when you start when you start feeding that synergical loop where you have people cohesive group, strong group work together. It, the numbers are less relevant. Now you are talking about trying to satisfy the numbers because on paper it satisfies bean counters. But the problem is, is the consequences are not suffered by those bean counters. The consequences are suffered by people out in theater of operation or the people that will be. And, you know, yes, right now there's a bit of a lull in the action, but make no mistake about it. I mean, there's, you know, international things happening and eventually these guys are going to go out and do the things that they train to do. And when they do that, there will be no sugarcoating of anything. It'll, it'll be the harsh reality of war. And, um, you know, it's it's truly a disservice to the, to the Canadian forces. It's a disservice to the Canadian public. It's a disservice to to the world, really. And, and further to that, here's uh, the other phenomenon that I'm noticing. And I'm curious as to what you guys think. I'm seeing it from various um, social media feeds that I'm tracking that I use as a barometer as to the general vibe out there, if you will. And it's this, as standards erode and as the timeline to become qualified erodes, the general externalized perspective is, ah, they're, they're not the same anymore. They are less than they used to be. And so it, I'm seeing a perspective out there that is shining a negative light on the Canadian Armed Forces as not only not ready, but not even qualified to be not ready. And that's a hard, hard thing to read. That's a hard, hard thing to hear for a guy like me, because I have pride in the Canadian Armed Forces. I have pride in the things that were accomplished by my friends. And I have a certain understanding of the importance of the Canadian Armed Forces to the general public as a whole, things that they're not familiar with, perhaps. But the role of the Canadian Armed Forces is never going to go away to defend the country domestically, internationally, and all of that good stuff, provide all kinds of services to the Canadian population. Though the role's never going to go away, the role is being eroded by the lack of quality men and women and the lack of quality support for those men and women, not only as a nation, but as a, mm, we'll call it a political support, uh, for lack of a better term. It's a real disservice to the Canadian Armed Forces right now, uh, but more importantly, the perspective of someone who wants to join maybe is now being distorted because they're starting to shrug their shoulders and think, man, that what's the point? It's, it's turning into a bit of a, and I'm going to say it, it's turning into a bit of a joke. And I'm seeing and hearing that from veterans and maybe some of them are a bit angry about what's happening right now. Cool. But I'm also hearing it from rational, logical, emotionally stable veterans who I respect. And I'm thinking it myself as well. So something's got to change, man. Yeah, go ahead, Seb. Yeah, it, it's, it, you know, 
without getting down the political rabbit hole, um, I think I think you can't treat your armed forces as a necessary evil. You just can't do that because if you do that, it will it will it will infuse every single step of that process, and it will essentially compromise the safety of the country. So you you, you know you don't have to have necessarily at, at you know, at, at our country, with the amount of people we have here, we don't necessarily need friggin' two million soldiers. I, I get that, but what we do need, we need it well taken care of. We need it. We need it supported. We need it preemptively prepared. We need it followed through. We need, you know. So there needs to be a major inject in a in the Canadian forces in the Canadian. And if you look at the international landscape, like we've Canada has been under increased scrutiny to provide certain things on the international scene, and there is quite a few stories coming from um, the area of around in and around Ukraine or Latvia or whatever, where where there has been some catastrophic failure to our to our Canadian forces, and on account of X, Y, and Z not being taken care of at the bean counter level, and so, but also all of this is occurring because the Canadian public isn't asking the right questions and we are not engaged in the process. It's almost like these Canadian forces soldiers, you know, nobody needs a warrior until the enemy is at the gate. And, 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 and when they come out and the enemy is at the gate, now there's full support from everybody. And then as soon as it's done, you know, it's kind of like nothing. And so I think it's important that we as a community, as a, as a country, that we unify behind the, the Canadian forces because it's very difficult to do more with less. So if you're trying to do certain things and you're trying to put certain things out, but politics gets involved on account of this, this, that, and the other thing, or the money is not there or whatever the case may be. Now you have justification to be mediocre. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a tough spot to sit into. And I think, uh, it's primarily on, uh, I can't say primarily, there's a large chunk of it that is on the veteran community for, the last 10, 15 years since uh, Afghanistan who have just been thrashing the CF or thrashing their own service or talking about how, you know, woe is me and all these things. And, and unfortunately, it's also part of the problem that the, <laughs> the CF basically had a, uh, a system of, okay, you're done. Cool. Get out of the way. And just like, don't, I don't want to hear from you and carried on, which it should. That's the, what the military is supposed to do. Um, but the, the challenge, the real challenge is the fact that we have a generation of veterans that don't feel taken care of. We have an entire new generation of uh, people coming into a diminished uh, forces and a role of veterans that aren't there who are, should be leading the way, right? And like, it behooves the nation to turn out good, solid veterans from the military because then they become leaders in the society, in business, in whatever, in whatever they go into. Um, but it's been a challenge for a long time because we've been... <laughs> it has, but we're trying to demonstrate it over here on the collective. Yep. I mean, we're, we're all veterans. I mean, maybe we're not like, maybe I don't have a thousand companies that I'm a CEO of, but I've done all right, as has everyone on this panel, as does everyone that we get over here every single day are characters who have come through a system and created successful lives to some degree, whatever success means to you. But I tell you what it does mean to the individual who initially asked this question on how to 
approach the Canadian Armed Forces as a as a uh, puzzle to solve, how to show up on day one awesome, how to kick that ass, how to become large and in charge, how to lead the way, and then eventually, hopefully, and that's the entire reason that I want to have this conversation, is many years down the road, this individual who asked the question is now able to have these kind of conversations with a younger generation. It's our responsibility to look after the young generation so they can pass it far forward when we're long gone. And I think in absence of veterans who aren't stepping together cohesively and doing the best for the country or doing the best for the young generation, well, it's, it's left to us now to uh, do these kind of things. And I'm totally comfortable with that because I understand that the system made me who I am. And I, I really appreciate that. I, I'm thankful for it. I wouldn't be who I am without the Canadian Armed Forces. But um, at the same time, the Canadian Armed Forces has some improvements to make. So, um, you know, it is what it is. We're still going to try to support it in any way that we can, of course. Uh, back to the training days aspect as, as an instructor. Um, I think there's some real simple rules that a person can uh, consider when they are showing up to either basic training or they're showing up to their trades qualification course. And, and honestly, how many times do we say this every week? It's this. Know your why. <laughs> why are you there? Why did you sign on the dotted line? What did you do between the dotted line and getting off the bus on day one? That will help you understand your why. If your why was to, eh, I think I'll give it a go, it ain't going to work out well for you. If your why is, I'm going to go kick that ass and become awesome, it'll probably work out for you. Now, those are two different levels of conviction. Eh, maybe I'll give it a try. Eh, I'm going to dabble with the forces versus I'm going to freaking own this path. Those are two different mindsets with two very different outcomes. What do I mean by two very different outcomes? The dabbler and the I'm going to own this, may, uh, may uh, be standing next to each other on graduation day. They, they may both enter into their new careers, but in time, there will be a marked difference between the dabbler and the going to own it path. The person who owns it is then going to go on to not only own their own career, they're going to shape the careers behind them of the people who are following or tracking them as a somewhat mentor to some degree. And so um, my point being this, that irrespective of your visualized outcomes, maybe you don't understand what rank you want to be, maybe you don't understand what unit you want to be, all you need to understand this is you're being observed all the time, the moment that you step into the system, not only by your instructors, but by your peers. And your only job is to inspire those around you by getting after it. Yeah. Debbie, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, man, you're contributing a ton to the team by, by being the best version of yourself. And that starts with a decision. And that decision needs to be made preemptively before the heat gets turned on. Because it's too late once the heats get turned on for you to start pondering why you're here and what are some of the things and 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 you're you're going to tell yourselves little lies and they'll be cute at first and then as the problem compounds they will become louder and louder and louder until you walk yourself out and 10 minutes after having a shower you'll regret that and so 
also something I'd like to add is 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 that you know we've been talking about some of the struggles that are currently in the Canadian forces all that good stuff and we can we can talk about this all day but it's not really constructive for the generation that wants to go that wants to go and that would like to serve and do something for the country it's still going to do what it is intended to do and so and things change things get better things change with leadership like those are external factors you have zero control over so the focus needs to be on you as an individual to be the better version of yourself, to, to, to seek the information, to understand what you're getting into and to really be clear on your purpose and your journey. And the rest of it, all the politics and all the things that inject within the context of the Canadian forces are not up to you. You have zero control over that over this. So just let him be until the tide change again, because it happens all the time. Right. And so. I wouldn't necessarily dissuade somebody from going, where, which is what a lot of veterans have done, is dissuading people from going on account of personal experience. I had lots of, there, was, there were experiences that were less glamorous than others in the Canadian forces, but there were also the, 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 the cost benefits, were, the benefits far outweighed the cost as far as, far as I was concerned on the, personal, on the personal individual level. And so I would, I would encourage whoever wants to go or would like to take this on to really to, to to go for it go for it like it doesn't really matter if everybody's telling you these horror stories and everything there's always a story about whatever to not you know make you do the things that you want to do because it 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 essentially spotlights my insecurities or my failings or my whatever the case may be you don't know what the intent is behind trying to dissuade you from doing certain things and so you know I, I'm leaving you with this. If, if this is something you are truly considering and you know what you're getting into and ultimately you're prepared for the fight and you're, you're, you're going to know where to look to start looking at how am I preparing for the fight. There's enough information in 2023, which wasn't the case when Sean first got in. The internet wasn't even a thing. Um, just, just, just think about, you know, there's, there's a million ways to roam right now. Oh, sorry about that. I'd like to add a little bit more on that. And, um, and it's to Seb's point. When I joined, I just was going to do my best. But when I joined, no one was telling me that Canada sucked. No one said that. No one said Canada sucked. No one said the Canadian Armed Forces suck. There was no negative storyline uh, when I signed up. Uh, I just simply wanted to go serve, for, serve my country. And I wanted to be the best version of myself while I was doing it. Now, today, in, in, in our modern world, there are people who are considering signing up or, or maybe getting involved in the military in some aspect, some particular trade qualification. And what they're hearing is, Canada sucks. Or maybe Canada is number 12 in the world in NATO, or uh, we're the 15th best army in, in North America. There's only two armies in North America. How can we be 15th? And so um, I, I, I disagree with all of the, the naysayers out there and all of the doom scrollers who say that the Canadian Armed Forces sucks. I still believe that man for man, we're the best in the world. I go head to head with any country, I swear. I think the Canadian system puts out an amazing soldier as long as they've got, as long as they feel supported via equipment and funding and proper leadership, I, I'll go head to head with anyone, anywhere in the world. Now, um, to that point, 
when I was in JTF2, uh, arguably the highest level of soldiering in the Canadian Armed Forces to some degree. I know it's debatable by some, but I'll, I'll call it the tip of the spear. Uh, guess what? We weren't freaking that well supported either. I mean, I had to buy my own boots. I had to buy my own gloves. I had to buy my own this, that, and the other thing. The stuff that I was running around with my ninja outfit on, a third of it I had to buy myself because we weren't, we, we didn't have the funding. We didn't have the support. The, even though we had quote unquote, uh, lots of money, sometimes you just had to buy your own stuff because the system, and I'm talking about the provisioning system. I'm talking about the system that is supposed to have all the new widgets for us. They were like about 47 years behind the curve. So when we needed stuff, I just opened my own personal wallet and purchased it with my own personal money. And that is the way it is, man. If you are in the game and you want to go hard, well, sometimes you've got to dig into your own finances. And I know that sucks, but it happened in my time and it's going to happen in your time. And it's, it's a pretty clear indication of <clears throat> whether you're in the game or not. I know it sucks to s spend your own money, but if you're really in the game, you're going to buy the knife that you need to do the job. You're going to buy the boots that you need to do the walking. You're going to buy the socks that don't give you blisters, etc. So get used to the idea of well before you sign the dotted line, how much you are in the game. Well, let's uh, let's shut her down from there. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. No, the um, I did want to add one thing, and I've been thinking about this the whole time. Is the fact that the the real concept as an instructor, what we want to see is the effort, right? It's physically, like they like you guys have been saying, physically you can be wherever you're at, but it's the effort, it's the drive, it's the the will to actually work and and to just process through the day and through the week and through the month and just keep working forward the one thing that i remember uh, about going through my training was i had absolutely no doubt where i was going none i was asked by instructors oh what do you want to do when you get through basic and i was like i am going to be a combat engineer and other people said oh i want to be or i thinking about this or etc 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 and the key lesson that i've learned later on that I did not learn at the time was that nobody else's performance matters. That was the big one that I had to learn later on in life is that if that guy is beating you on a run, cool. If that guy is not beating you on a run, cool. Am I beating myself on the run? That's the important part. Am I actually giving it everything I have on this run? Am I giving it everything I have on this particular set of push-ups that we're doing right now? That's the key point, at least in my and, mind. And were you? At the time, early on I was, and then I let naysayers and the uh, the lack of, I let other people's performance affect mine. And that affected my overall mindset, which affected my overall career, which affected where I went in and how I uh, envisioned my day job, which was not the way, it's not the way I would like to have happened now, <laughs> I understand now uh, a much different um, perspective on how I would have liked to have done that. But I'm looking at it from almost 15, 20 years down the down the pipe now, 18 years down the pipe. So 
it uh i have a lot of 2020 hindsight let's put it that way now in terms of um training i got a couple other comments here any other last thoughts nope. or anything Hit before him. we carry on okay so we got uh salty jinx says bmq is not enough to bring them up stuff to snuff it's the place to plant the seed uh if they really want i think yeah if they uh if they really want it, they're going to need to find the resilience to reach the standard and keep pushing. He says, having been in the standard seat and having had the discussions about the instructors, students, and the training plan, it's been something to see the standard be reduced to allow the training audience <laughs> to achieve the basic lessons and pushing to the units to provide OJT in order to bring up the quality of the individual outputs. I, I have a, I have a I struggle with this too because I saw it as uh, I was leaving the military was that more and more information of the training was being put on the units yeah. rather than uh, the schools, <laughs> which that's what they're there for. Uh, blew my mind. And then, Yeah, well, uh, I did, on that point, I did say in my live chat there a couple of days ago when I was talking about the subject and someone actually raised that point. It may have even been Salty Jenks, the discussion about OJT. Forget about OJT. That's uh, that's something that rarely ever happens. I mean, when you get posted to your unit, guess what? You're straight to work, and there's not a there's not a cell called OJT cell that then looks after all the OJTers. What you do is you get pumped straight into a section, straight into the back of a whatever, and now you're doing the large and in charge thing. Now you're dismounting and assaulting uh, the objective on your first day. There's no one tracking you with a white baton saying, be safe now, you're on OJT. No, you're not on OJT. You're in the job and the job requires work and there's no OJT cell to work you. What you're doing or what the system is creating is the injection of a new person that starts dragging down the section, that starts dragging down the platoon, that starts dragging down the standard performance. OJT is not the solution. OJT is the problem. That was my thought too. Debbie, you got any thoughts on that? No, I agree. hundred percent. hundred percent. I got one question and then we're going to do final uh, chats here. Tanya asks, um, most people aren't born with that mindset as in the uh, forward thinking mindset. Have you, have any folks washed out due to mindset and come back better? If so, what do they, what did they do differently? And what was the, that was that more meaningful to you as an instructor? Seb? Well, it's twofold, right? W would it be more meaningful? I, I didn't have those kinds of emotions. It's like you want to be here or you don't want to be here. You're ready to be here or you don't want ready to be here. <laughs> like I, I, I had no real emotions attached in this. Uh, but what does make it meaningful is I like to see somebody come back from adversity. I, I like to see that. I like to see. I also like to see somebody come prepared. I'm very impressed with that. You know, and if you show up and you're unprepared and you're and you end up going out and you return the expectations on you are going to be higher you already have an in on the process you've been in here you've seen the things so now not only do you is your mindset needing to be different but your performance needs to be much much better and much improved so that's a lot of pressure on somebody so i i like the fact that if that person comes back and performs to standard or above ideally uh, following, you know, having washed out in the past and the extra pressure that that puts on you, it says something about their character. So I will, I will, I will definitely take that into consideration. But um, mindset is the reason why most people quit. 
is 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 it's that simple i've seen some of the fittest people is people way fitter than me leave in 10 and 15 minutes we haven't even done anything yet they they left because they were afraid of being afraid like i don't even know what they're afraid of or why they left but when people lose that sense of control as i was mentioning earlier you know it it starts it starts spooling people up differently there's people that are very or are used to be the high performers that are consistently doing good at everything and now they can't win because there is no winning and as soon as that happens they start you know self they start imploding because they've never been faced with those odds so one foot forward one evolution at the time do not think about 17 benchmarks down the line or anything like that focus on what you have to do now and give your all every step of the way as would be my um, my instructor inject. John Reaver. <clears throat> yeah, my instructor inject is this. Uh, have I uh, have any folks washed out due to mindset? All of them. Anyone who's washed out, other than maybe a really catastrophic injury, yeah. um, and and by catastrophic I mean like I don't care if you broke your leg. Figure out a way. It's day five. You've got another two days. Make it happen. Oh, you're not in the game. Okay, see you later. And that is the non-emotional uh, attachment that I have as an instructor. I'm about performance and standards in that point. Just like Seb said, if someone is coming back for uh, round two or round three, I'll make a note of it. And if they perform well, they'll get a certain amount of respect from me. But it's not big respect. It's just a notable, okay, he came back facing the fire again, put his hand into it, got burned again. And uh, this time he made it. Um, I'll respect that to some degree, but I'm not emotional about it. I'll just make a note of it. Um, mindset washes everyone out, in my opinion. And uh, if they do come back and are successful, the only reason they're successful is because they freaking changed their mindset. Bam. Um, with that, are there any final thoughts on training, training days, on anything we've talked about so far? Seb? No, not really. I mean, I've, we've touched a, a, a ton of stuff here and we've we've thrown a lot of things. And I think people love to have the cookie cutter, you know, here's X, Y, and Z, just do this and you'll be totally fine. But it, it's not a sanitized, reality is not a sanitized version like this. There, It's very complex. But at the end of the day, if you break it down to the bare bottom and the foundation of this, grit it out and do what you need to do to the best of your abilities every step of the way without getting ahead of yourself yeah john any thoughts yeah i agree with seb uh forget about uh, all of the checklists that you can create in your head uh after listening to this i gotta wake up at 0 4 30 and at 0 4 31 i'm putting push-ups on and then 0 4 32 i'm looking at the sun and 0 4 it's forget about the checklists simplify it go do something freaking bonkers hard get harder get gritty if, if you're a fan of David Goggins, start carrying logs or boats or whatever it takes to get in the mindset of just do not accept your own mediocrity. Go explore your mega awesomeness. And in order to do that, you got to bleed, sweat and cry. It's as simple as that. If you're not, if you're not getting roughed up in life, you ain't in the game. And the game that you're thinking about, the training day, the... The, the Canadian Armed Forces thing, the law enforcement thing, the first responder thing, things that are of service to the country, 
service to your community, service to your fellow man, that is now a certain responsibility that you cannot let down. You are there to perform. So if you're one to get in the game, get hard. Yeah. Well, that uh, I, I don't have I don't have anything to add. So I'm just going to say, you know, as we learn what our capabilities are, we can build upon what we have as a base and grow into the person that we're supposed to be. So you can do that with us every day here on The Collective. We'll see you all tomorrow. Chimo. Chimo. Chimo.